0: Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncombe, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Daryl Moon. Daryl is an experienced Salesforce professional, and the owner and course developer for Certify CRM, a platform that many of our audience will have used before. Through the episode, we heard more about Daryl's background, what he did before Salesforce and how he found his way into the Salesforce ecosystem. And then we really delve into the world of flows, which is an area or a product or tool that Daryl is very passionate about. And he shares some insight around the power of flows why some people are concerned or scared or daunted by flows, and potentially why some developers may see them as a threat or may talk a little bit badly about them sometimes. And Daryl shares some insight around how companies can start preparing for utilizing flows and moving away from process builder and workflows so, a really interesting episode with Daryl. He has a really interesting background, actually. And it's great to see how he found his way into Salesforce and has really made a career in this space. If you haven't checked out his platform, Certify CRM, please do. There's lots of great content on there. And yeah, hopefully you enjoy this episode. If you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, welcome, Ben. I've got some interesting questions in store for you. And the first one I think is gonna be an interesting response because I'm interested in hearing about your background before you got into the world of Salesforce. So what what did your career look like before you'd even heard of
1: Salesforce? Well, it depends how far back you want to go.
0: (laughs) As far as you're willing to share.
1: Oh, look, I uh, graduated from uni in late 79 with a teaching diploma and my career was heading for primary teaching. But at the time, there was a shortage of teachers in Victoria sometime before that, actually when I was going through high school. And they imported a whole lot of teachers from overseas, from the US and UK and so on. So teaching was seen as a pretty lucrative career and a good option to get into. But of course, by the time the teaching colleges ramped up and you know, three years later had their first sort of batch of graduates, those positions had been filled and and there wasn't much in the way of vacancies around. So there was actually an oversupply. So there were, there were very few jobs available in Victoria. So I resigned myself to working in Dad's soft drink factory for a bit longer on the production line and driving and deliveries and stuff like that. And then I thought, oh, to hell with this. This is no future for me. <laughs> And the competition from the big soft drink manufacturers, you know, the Cokes and the Pepsis was pretty hefty and dad really didn't want me to take over the family business. So I decided to put in application for every state in Australia and JAG one in Northern Territory. So I headed off to the Northern Territory and was the uh, teacher in charge of a one teacher school in a little place called Point Stewart, which is halfway out the Arnhem Highway towards Kakadu.
0: No way so one you were the only teacher in the school. Yeah. How many yeah. How many students? 15. Nice. No support. You were just uh, in the, the deep end.
1: Thrown right in the deep end. It was funny because a colleague and I when we were going through Teachers College decided that to hell with this being classroom teachers we were just going to be principals from day one so I was and he was <laughs> as well. He ended up down in Daly River in the Northern Territory as a teacher in charge and one teacher school down there as well. So we both achieved our goal on the first job. Yeah, nice. And how how long did you stick with teaching? So five years. So I spent about a year and a half out there on the station property and then moved into Darwin into a, a, a brand new school that was built there. And was doing a lot of senior sort of teacher responsibilities and I wanted to put my hand up for eligibility for promotion and my principal gave me this condescending sort of look and said oh look young fella you know you're not old enough to be promoted and I thought hmm that's interesting you're a service that you know exemplifies the skill you know promotion on merit and stuff like that and this guy who's very influential in my future is telling me that I'm not old enough and that it's actually got nothing to do with skill and ability. So about the same time, I saw an IT job come up still with the education department. And so I jumped at that and moved into IT in a big project that was uh, deploying computers out to all of their high schools and primary schools to manage the administration side of things. So I was there for uh, about 15 years, some of that included TAFE as well, and sort of moved up from IT support and a bit of development work and some training to IT management, project management, until uh, in 2000, the education department decided that outsourcing was a great idea and that that outsources all to the state government computer centre, who had No idea about education, no idea really about what they were doing. And we all saw that as a bit of a disaster waiting to happen and seemed like to me a good time to bail out. And so I uh, took a holiday, travelled all around Australia and back to Victoria and uh, landed a job down there teaching at TAFE. So I was falling sort of back on my teaching skills with TAFE, teaching computer systems Engineers, young engineers. So that was great. You know, it was a combination of putting my teaching skills and uh, IT skills into practice.
0: When did uh, Salesforce come into the picture, and uh, and was it like love at first sight? Did you know this was going to be your your career for the foreseeable?
1: Yeah. After that, I well, actually right at the end of that, I had an opportunity. A colleague of mine who was working at TAFE got an offer to return to Vanuatu in the South Pacific to uh, do some teacher training. But he said, look, I can't go. I've got kids in year 12 You know, I can't spend six weeks away at this critical time. And I said, Vanuatu, where's that? And he goes, oh, you better have a look in the map and find it. I said, I'll do it. I said, where is it? <laughs> so I found out about it. Anyway, cut a long story short. I went to Vanuatu and worked on a a project there to uh, improve the skill of the teachers in IT and then later on another project to build a business, and IT centre where I got to put my project management skills in a construction project in a place and then at the end of that My wife and I liked it so much that we stayed on and I ran an IT business there for several years as well. But that all kind of finished up and we returned to Australia in 2014 and I was looking for work and i had on my, on my resume that my, my last job that i was a country manager of an it business and i got this call from a recruiter and they said country manager what do they do and i said well basically what don't they do you know it was it sales it was it support it was warranty it was training it was staff development everything you know basically i'd run the whole it business for the country. And in fact, it was spread across Vanuatu, Solomon, Samoa and Tonga as well. So my skills were way too broad and the industry here had narrowed down to very specific roles. So I kind of had trouble fitting back in. And this job came up, they wanted someone for a couple of weeks to fix up some spreadsheets in Excel. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. Let's have a crack at that. So I got that gig and went to a state government agency in Queensland to work on that. Little did I know that um, at the same time, a project manager started in another part of the business to implement a CRM, and these spreadsheets were just records for import to that CRM, which wasn't Salesforce at the time. That came a little bit later. So yeah, I spent a couple of weeks getting all these records ready and then uh, met the new project manager and ended up on her team and implementing a CRM. And a short time later, we switched to Salesforce because the other product really wasn't ready. It was a bit of vaporware and not what we needed. So yeah, accidentally fell into that um, Salesforce admin role. It was that
0: that? I mean, that's crazy, right? It's uh, like had you just turned away that Excel role because it was beneath your skill set, like where you you don't know where you'd be today, right? You you may never have come across Salesforce.
1: Absolutely, no idea. Yeah. yeah. I had written an article about cloud computing because when I was in Vanuatu, I used to write some articles for the local newspaper there. And looking back at one of them, yeah, there was one about cloud computing and, you know, the logos and and a sentence or so mention of Salesforce was in there. But that's about all I knew of Salesforce at the time.
0: So you become the admin, and did you then kind of see that as as an obvious career path? Like, was it clear that you could make a build a, a an ongoing career out of this platform, or um, did you kind of just uh, see how it went?
1: No, I did because as soon as I sort of discovered that you could get your own developer org and you could, you know, from home you could sit there and train yourself and build things, and it was just this wow moment. It sort of took me way way back to the early days of the internet when i'd installed apache web server on a pc and was able to run a web server and i thought you know all in the one computer and i thought wow this is really something and it was that same sort of wow moment when i got my own developer org not long after that trailhead was announced and that gave us a good resource for training materials and i'd been to some user group meetings and sort of met some people who were just starting off or who were you know a little bit further ahead of me in their journey and done some training and i thought wow very supportive user environment and you know i've got access to the product it's not something that i have to go and buy licenses for so that i can get started and train myself and i thought you know, and it's cloud-based, you can access it from anywhere. I just thought, this is just the greatest thing. And I'd done a lot of work on databases and a little bit of software development and a lot of networking and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. You know, all the networking stuff, all the installing software and configuring this and configuring database and database connections and middleware and Forget all that, someone else takes care of that. You can just jump in and build stuff. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I know a lot of our listeners will know you um, as the, the person behind Certified CRM. So where where did the idea come from for certified CRM and, and how has that evolved over the years?
1: Yeah, well, it started off with my need in that new role to get certified to basically for for two reasons. One, obviously. I wasn't in a permanent role in that in that role, and I thought, well, that will help me if there's something else comes up later on. But also, I wanted to know what the hell I was doing and, and do it properly. So I went to my project manager and I said, oh, look, I found this great course in Salesforce. It's a week-long Um and it costs $4,000, can, know, can the budget stretch to that? And I think her comment was along the lines of, oh, that's our whole department's training budget for a year. That ain't going to happen. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> so I had to think about it, and I thought, well, there's some good online resources that I've found. i found some YouTube videos. There's some help and training documents. There's some trailhead. And when i was at tafe i actually implemented an online environment and i thought okay and i went back to my project manager and i said well what if i self-study and prepare myself would you give me a couple of hours a week to do that and will you pay the 200 if i pass the exam she said yeah sure so we agreed upon that and I just went off and continued to find all these resources and started building out my own admin course and just kept adding things and writing quiz questions for myself. And I found that if I left them, you know, for a few weeks, I'd forget what the answers were anyway, and I could test myself and that and that worked really well. And it kind of grew from that. So I got to the stage where I got my certification in the admin, and I thought, gee, I've spent a lot of time and effort on that. That would be really helpful for other people, and I put out a message on LinkedIn or or Twitter or somewhere, and anyway, cut a long story short, we're now very close to 10,000 students, and we've got four or five paying courses and a few free courses, and uh, yeah, pretty much consumes all my free time. But... It's good because while I'm developing courses, I'm always sort of thinking, oh, gee, I could use that component at work or I'm researching a new product or a new feature and I can use that in my day job and it it sort of trickles across to uh, the course and vice versa. So there's a lot of intermixing between those.
0: Yeah, you're not wasting your time doing it, right? You're upskilling at the same time as upskilling others.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And- And if you're going to teach somebody, you've really got to know the product inside out yeah. and you've got to be able to think about it from their perspective as well. So you've got to introduce it and, you know, cover off the basics before you sort of move on to the more advanced stuff.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I know one thing that has got you excited and, and is of particular interest to you at the moment is flows or our flows. Why is
1: that? I think finally I've got the power to be able to change things that I don't like. So there's always features, you know, when you buy a package software, even though Salesforce is very configurable, there's always things that don't quite fit or don't quite work the way your users would like them to do. And what I've discovered with Flow is that you've got so much power to be able to change those things. So you can create an automation that simplifies something that is really complex for the end user and make it really simple it might just be a matter of click a button and i'll go off and do a whole lot of hard work in the end of it behind the scenes and then they see the the result so yeah being able to change the user interface particularly with those screen flows and be able to automate and simplify things for the end users to make their life easier
0: because I'm someone that is quite daunted by flows and I know other people are because, you know, I, I look at it and I I just, it, it, for me, looking at like a process builder or a workflow was so much easier to kind of get my head around. And I know there are people out in the same camp that that feel the same way, but then you also have developers out there that give flows a hard time. Why do you think that is? Why are they daunting to some and, and then to others, they're kind of seen as something that, you know, maybe is... It's said to be doing more than it should or, or you know not as good as, as writing a line of code
1: yeah look i definitely agree when i started flow it was a pretty steep learning curve so if if you've never done any programming before and you don't understand things like variables and record collections and things like that it's tough to get started and That's exactly the reason why I developed the learning Salesforce flow course to get people, take them gently through that. And then all the way through that course, we actually build out some simple flows. So there's about 23 or 24 flows that we build throughout that course, building on the concept that was introduced each way along. When we're talking about developers, I kind of have this bit of an argument with them from time to time and that they seem to think that flow is not enterprise ready. It's not robust enough. It's, you know, it doesn't have this or it doesn't have that. But however, a lot of the time what we need to build is something that's quick and easy and good enough to get the job done. Um, a lot of the flows that I build, you know, it might be used by half a dozen users and they do a task that takes them a couple of minutes. We're not talking about massive enterprise applications that need to process thousands and thousands of records. So we don't need to build, you know, an Apex trigger and a test class for something that's really simple, that's just going to update a record and, you know, maybe put a date on the record when it's moved to the closed stage or something like that. You know, we need to save the skills of the developers for doing those really resource intensive tasks where there's a lot of records to process or some really complex logic. Yeah, it's a bit of a battle that I I think we'll have until the cows come home about, you know, where flow is appropriate and where Apex is appropriate, but uh, look, I, I would suggest that some of them probably feel a bit threatened, too, in that, you know, you, as you would have seen, Ben, a lot of jobs advertising, you know, they need a developer because they've got to build some automations and they've got to create some record types and some page layouts and some dashboards and stuff. Well, that's what we as admins do all day, every day. We don't need developers for that. And, uh, yeah. hey, we don't cost as much either.
0: That's true. It's true. But you, you agree that there is still a place for Apex. It's not like are taking over and for every use case, like you said, higher data volumes, you know, co- and really complex logic, there is still a place for Apex and that's not going away.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. certainly is a place for that. You know, if you're in a large enterprise and you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of thousands of records, and you need a, a you know a daily job that's going to generate invoices or something like that and it's got to read a million records and look up a whole bunch of other records and merge and do this and do that then yeah that's a job for apex but if you're simply wanting to send out a reminder to your opportunity owners once a week to you know update their uh, close dates on their opportunities and you want to run a little schedule flow to do that then perfectly
0: fine yeah sure sure so i I know a lot of companies out there are going to need to start thinking about you know what they're doing with their old workflows and process builder and um, i think it's workflows that are being retired right
1: and process builder as well both okay both of them so so what they're going to do there is they're going to basically sunset the two products there is no more development on either workflow or process builder and that was announced about six months ago. So what will happen is you'll still be able to edit existing workflows and process builders for a period of time. But at that time, and I think it's still about 12 to 18 months away, uh, when that time frame happens, you won't be able to create new process builders. Right. So, so, or or, or workflows. So they're they're not going to, you know break and and stop them from working just you won't be able to create new ones
0: so is there a need to convert them then like should people be thinking about making that conversion (laughs) now or or like is it a case of having the old workflow still firing but then just anything new you're building in flows
1: the approach that i would be inclined to take and i've actually written a five-part blog series about this that you can find at blog.certifycrm.com is to start and plan out and do an inventory of all of your automations now there are some conversion tools that will convert both process builders and workflows but before you even start doing that you've got to remember a lot of these workflows and process builders have been around for four or five years however long your org's been in existence And it may well be that they're no longer required or um, they could be improved or, you know, you might be able to merge several of them together. So while there will be, well, there is now an official Salesforce tool to convert the workflows coming out in the next release and unofficial sf.com have one that will do both process builders and workflows. I think the first thing is to have a close look and and see whether or not you still need them and maybe it's time to re-engineer and redesign them and build them out in flow rather than just lift and shift every, you know, all your old rubbish into flow. Have a critical look and see whether or not they're really needed and still meeting the business needs.
0: It's interesting, because there'll be a lot of companies out there that don't have an admin or don't like, you know, there might be a small customer of Salesforce with a couple of users, and they might have had a workflow built for them, you know, several years ago. And I wonder if there's a market for people just doing that conversion and and building something in flow, not not bringing a big consulting firm to do it, but just like some retained work or just like a a short contract just to fix these things up and, and make sure it's fit for purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly would be. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, someone that that is um, new to flows, like I said, it, it and and you agreed, it can be daunting. What are some of the easy steps people can take? Obviously, your your course, the certified CRM course around flows. But what are some really obvious kind of basics that people should be thinking about?
1: Some of the uh, record updates are, are quite simple. So, if, for example, you wanted to update an opportunity record when it closes, and maybe set I don't know, the close date or set some other field. So record-triggered flows are quite simple. That's a good place to start. And, and they basically pretty much mirror the workflow rules. Okay. There's some great content on Trailhead as well, which is a good place to get started on flow. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, by all means, you know, get a developer org and jump in there and just make a start. It's not that hard. The learning curve is a bit steep at the start, but once you, once you get to that aha moment, you'll realise that wow, now I know what everybody's excited by. I can do this, 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 and this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice. And I've noticed more recently as well, you've been involved and engaged in some other initiatives outside of your own business of certified CRM and you know, collaborating with some other things like Salesforce, Ben, I think you you, you do some work with and I, I know the guys in Bradley Rice and his crew in the US. So, so what, what do you most enjoy about that kind of collaboration with other businesses and, and helping people on their journey?
1: Well, if I remember back to when I first went to the Salesforce user group meeting in Brisbane and how helpful people were and I was in there as a a newbie and knew nothing and this guy was talking about lightning as if it was some, you know, wonderful, magical thing and sort of had the audience captivated and he gave us a demo of some parts and yeah, the whole Ohana was very accommodating and very helpful and so I'm just basically trying to, you know, pay back some of that help and assistance that I was given and hoping that you know can pass that on to help somebody get else get started in their career because I think it's a a, a fantastic career opportunity.
0: Yeah for sure. And I, I speak to some of the people that have come through Talent Stacker. And and what I love about that particular business is the enthusiasm that people have.
1: Oh they're just mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely they're just so gung-ho. And you know, like Bradley advertises, you know, 60 grand salary US in six months. And like he's got like 80, 90% hit rate. And and yeah. most of most of you know, the the few that don't make it make it short time afterwards, or you know, some big life event has occurred that's prevented them from continuing the study or you know meeting that deadline so he's got really good results and i think he's got good results because he's really honed in on that community aspect getting them all helping each other but they go way beyond just the training so i basically deliver through certified crm you know here's a training course go work on it at your own pace it's cheap you know it's easy going you got lifetime access but but that's it Whereas what Bradley does, obviously it costs a whole lot more than that, but he does the whole package. So he does LinkedIn training, helps them get their LinkedIn presence up to scratch. He does interview preparation. They work on a project together. He helps get them volunteer placements and so forth. So he's doing the whole package. And I think that's why it is so extremely successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot more now that goes into finding a job than just developing your skills. I think, you know, yeah. not when I say skills, not just your your Salesforce skills, like, you could be the best Salesforce developer in the world. But if no one knows where to find you, or, you know, if you can't show your work and showcase and have confidence in your work, then people won't won't know it. So I think, yeah, what they do around that kind of profile building and, and confidence building as well is really important. So so yeah, absolutely. Look, there are
1: a lot of those developers and admins out there, um, even I know in Brisbane alone, that you just never see on social media. You know, like I've worked with some great developers and great admins, and they just quietly go about their business. And uh, you never hear from them or see, you know, you never see anything online about what they're doing. You know they're doing great things because... Well, we used to be able to catch up on a regular basis. We haven't done that for a while. But- yeah. So one,
0: one final question I have, like how important is learning flows? Because like I, I spoke to someone who was looking to, to build a career in Salesforce and I asked them, well, like, what are you really focusing on at the moment and uh, how are you differentiating yourself? And their response was that they're really trying to nail down reports and dashboards. And I, I said to them, like, like, yes, you need to know that stuff, but it's going to be really hard to differentiate yourself as like a reports and dashboard whiz you know i think like for me the the playing field is quite um level in the flow space because it's it's still relatively new so you know no one's been working on flows for 10 years whereas people have been working on workflows and reports and dashboards for that long so is your advice to someone that's building their career in this space now to really like focus in on a flow and and be a flow expert because that's where the kind of market's going
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And Flow Orchestrator is a new product that's coming out as well. So it'll be like the granddaddy of flows and be able to cover a a business process that, you know, goes across all the different branches of an organization. If you think of something like an onboarding of a new employee, you know, it sort of starts with HR and ends up with you know payroll and it and facilities and security and you know all different parts of the business each one of those having their own individual workflows built out of flow but then orchestrator ties all that together so that's the eventual aim so learning how to build those flows is critical and as you said every admin you know if you've got 20 admins who are all applying for an admin role every one of them should know reports and dashboards down pat so that's not going to differentiate you that's a requirement that's a you know a basic requirement not a specialization but if if you're the one who can uh, do this migration of all their process builders and workflows that is causing them grief and performance issues, then you're starting to stand out from the crowd.
0: 100%. And thank you so much for that. I think you've uh, you've shared some really interesting insight and, and I've really enjoyed hearing your background as well. For anyone that wants to kind of reach out and pick your brains or ask any other questions, where's the best place to find you?
1: Probably LinkedIn. Yeah? You, you favour that than Twitter? Yeah. Look, I'm only on Twitter because... Everybody who's doing anything in Salesforce is on Twitter, and that's the only reason why I ever went there. Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn, I'd probably spend more time on than, than that. Facebook, I'm only on for Bradley's group because they started off using that as their platform. I think they've moved away from it now.
0: But, yeah, uh, nice. Yeah, it's hard to balance. I think, like, everyone always has a favourite out of um, for in the, the Salesforce world. Is it LinkedIn or is it Twitter? And, like, <laughs> I, I dip into Twitter occasionally, but it's a whole different world where... Like people have got true Salesforce best friends on Twitter, whereas I think like LinkedIn is just kind of everyone dips in and out. Whereas like Twitter is a a very, very forceful force of Salesforce professionals.
1: It is. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thanks so much and uh, all the best for what's to come with Certified CRM and uh, other work ventures.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Ben. I've enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. And we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.